Welcome to the Bedford Alliance Church Bible Reading Plan Podcast. I'm Luke Cugino, your discipleship pastor and host. This podcast follows along with our church-wide reading plan, which walks you through the entire New Testament and gives you an overview of the Old Testament. Join us as we dive into God's life-changing Word together. Well, hello, and welcome back to the podcast. We are nearing the end of the Book of Acts in our BAC reading plan. And what I actually want us to do today is try to wrap up the rest of the Book of Acts. Now, I know technically we're only reading Acts 22 through 26 this week in our reading plan, but I want to go ahead and just wrap up the rest of the Book of Acts, so through chapter 28. That way, next week, in our podcast, we can focus on introducing the Gospel of John. That'll be our next book. Now, last week we covered Paul's second and third missionary journeys, so make sure you go back and listen to that if you haven't listened yet. And we said that Paul had been collecting an offering for the church back in Jerusalem during his missionary journeys. Remember, the church in Jerusalem at this time, they're struggling, there's a famine going on, and Jerusalem is really where the church started. It's where the gospel started. So Paul feels indebted to the church in Jerusalem, and he also wants to bring together the Jews and Gentiles. So he's collecting this offering. And at the end of his third missionary journey, he goes back to Jerusalem to deliver this offering that he's been collecting. And of course, when he gets to Jerusalem, he's arrested and he's beaten and then put in chains. And that's where we ended last time. So we'll pick up there and carry the story through to the end of the book of Acts. So we left off at the end of chapter 21 last time. Now, first of all, why is Paul arrested? So when Paul gets to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple. And while he's there, chapter 21, verse 27 says Jews from Asia, referring to Asia Minor, probably Ephesus, the city of Ephesus. There are Jews from Asia who recognize Paul. They've got almost like this anti-Paul club going. Anywhere Paul goes, it seems like there are some Jews who oppose him. So these Jewish people stir up the crowd and they grab Paul. And they're saying that Paul teaches against the Jewish people. He teaches against the law and the temple. And they've heard that Paul is, is doing things like telling the Gentiles that they don't have to follow the law to be saved. And the Jews don't like that. They're trying to protect what they think is right and true. And on top of that, they think that Paul actually defiled the temple because they saw Paul walking around Jerusalem with Trophimus. How's that for a name? Trophimus the Ephesian, and he was a Gentile. And these Jews assumed that Paul brought Trophimus into the temple. Now understand, the temple was divided into two sections. The outermost area was the court of the Gentiles. That's where Gentiles were allowed to be. But beyond that point, only Jewish people could enter. And this was an offense punishable by death. This was very, very serious for the Jews. So the Jews mistakenly think that Paul brought a Gentile into the sacred areas of the temple. And they're, they're furious. They're upset. So they grab him. They drag him away from the temple. They start beating him. 
and they plan to kill him. You see that in verse 31. But word reaches the commander of the Roman troops in Jerusalem that there's this riot going on. So he takes his soldiers, they go, they investigate, they intervene, they arrest Paul, assuming that he committed some sort of crime deserving of the crowd's actions. So they arrest Paul, and keep in mind, from this point on, Paul's going to spend the rest of the book of Acts under arrest. Okay, So from this point forward, Paul is under arrest in the book of Acts. So Paul's arrested, and the Roman commander orders that Paul be taken back to the the barracks, the soldiers' barracks. He's trying to protect Paul from the crowd while they figure out what to do with him because the violence of this mob, this crowd, is so great that the soldiers actually have to carry Paul. That's how furious this crowd is, how violent they are. This is just pure chaos at this point. But before they take Paul away, Paul asked the Roman commander if he can say a few words, if he can speak to the crowd. Now, the commander is surprised that Paul can speak Greek, even though it was really the common language or you could say the, the trade language of the empire. But he, he probably assumes that Paul is a pretty rough character with no education. And presumably, Paul is a Jew. The commander is assuming that he is a Jewish person. So he's surprised that Paul can speak Greek. But then he, he asked Paul, which this seems like an odd question, he asked Paul if he's an Egyptian who started a revolt. But we actually know from the first century historian Josephus that there was indeed an Egyptian false prophet who led men to the, the Mount of Olives with the goal of taking Jerusalem. Now Felix, who was the, the governor of Judea, he had killed or captured this prophet's followers, but the prophet himself escaped. So this Roman commander is thinking, well, maybe this prophet has reappeared. So he's thinking maybe Paul is this guy. So anyway, he he lets Paul speak to the hostile crowd. And when they hear Paul talking in Aramaic, which was the, the language of the Jewish people at this time, they listen. And Paul really shares his testimony here. He shares that he himself is a Jew. He was trained in the Jewish law under Gamaliel. And he was a big name. Gamaliel was a big name. He was a prominent figure in the Jewish Sanhedrin. So Paul is no joke. Okay, Paul has the credentials as a Jewish person. He is a Jew of Jews, so to speak. And he also talks about how he used to persecute Christians. And then he had this vision of Jesus And now his mission is to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And that is where he loses the crowd. They lose their minds at this point. Remember, Jewish people had an Old Testament mindset where they were to be set apart from the nations. They were the chosen people of God, and they were supposed to keep other nations from polluting them. So when Paul and these other apostles come in and say, we're taking the message of salvation to the Gentiles, the Jews aren't happy. And so here they start yelling for Paul to be killed. Chaos ensues once again. There was a brief pause in the chaos. It's back now. And so the Roman commander orders that Paul be flogged and interrogated to try to figure out why the crowd is so upset. This commander is just trying to figure out what is going on. He figures Paul must have done something terrible for the crowd to be this upset. But then Paul says something. Paul says that he is a Roman citizen. And you'll notice as you're reading this, the soldiers immediately kind of stand up and, and they, they back off a bit. Because under, under Roman law, 
you can't even bind a Roman citizen without a trial. And the soldiers know that they can get in trouble with the governor for not following the law. So when they hear this, when they hear that Paul is a Roman citizen, they back off. And Paul is actually released eventually. But the commander is still trying to get to the bottom of things. So the commander orders that the chief priests and the members of the Sanhedrin, all the bigwigs of the the Jewish people, gather together, and he has Paul stand before them. Again, he's trying to figure out what's going on here. But then this fight breaks out amongst the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and things become so violent that the commander fears Paul's going to be hurt, and so he has him sent back to the barracks. A lot of violence in these chapters, a lot of chaos. And then it's discovered that the Jews are conspiring to kill Paul, so Paul is sent from Jerusalem to Caesarea to try to protect him, to, to move him out of town, to, to keep him more isolated from the Jewish people. And there in Caesarea, Paul stands trial before Felix, who is the the governor of Judea. And the high priests and and some of the Jewish elders, again, some of the bigwigs from the Jewish people, they bring their charges against Paul before Felix. But Felix doesn't really decide too much. He ends up giving Paul some some freedom and he allows Paul's friends to come in and, and take care of his needs. But he keeps them in prison. Felix is trying to do a favor for the Jews, so he he doesn't really do much with Paul. He just leaves him in prison, and it stays this way for two years. Okay, so Paul's in prison in Caesarea for two years. Then eventually, Festus takes over for Felix, so now Paul has to stand before Festus. And it also happens at this time that King Agrippa, this is actually Agrippa II, Herod Agrippa II, he's in town. So Agrippa is, is the son of Herod Agrippa I, who is the Herod who was killed in Acts chapter 12. And he's also the great-grandson of Herod the Great that you read about, for example, in Luke chapter 1. Now, Agrippa actually didn't have jurisdiction over Judea and Jerusalem in that area, but because Festus was a Roman, he was not familiar with Jewish practices like Agrippa would have been. So Festus seeks Agrippa's advice. And eventually, Festus, again, willing to kind of help out the Jews, he asks if Paul is willing to stand trial in Jerusalem. But Paul knows he's not stupid. Paul knows that he has no shot of surviving if he goes back to Jerusalem. So Paul, again, as a Roman citizen, he appeals to Caesar. And so Paul is sent to Rome. Now, just a quick aside here. I want to make a point. I want us to see God's providence in protecting Paul here. You know, Galatians 4 talks about how Jesus came when the fullness of time had come. Well, what does that mean, the fullness of time, God's appointed time? Well, obviously, there's a lot of factors that went into the timing of of when Jesus came to earth, things beyond our understanding even. We don't know the mind of God. But a couple things I want us to keep in mind here are, one, before the the Romans reigned over this part of the world, who was in charge? It was the Greeks. It was the Greeks. Think Alexander the Great. And the Greeks instituted a process known as Hellenization. Basically, they were trying to Greekize everything. And that means that the entire region now uses the Greek language. Now, why is that important? Well, one, because the New Testament is written in Greek, which, by the way, is a a very precise language. And what I mean by that is 
For example, where English might only have one word for love, Greek has various words to express the concept of love. So it's a a very precise language. It's what the New Testament was written in. But also the fact that there is now a common language in this whole region at this time, that removes a language barrier for Paul and for the other disciples on their missionary journeys. So now there's no longer a language barrier as they are sharing the gospel. Then after the Greeks come the Romans, and the Romans do a couple things. One, they build extensive road networks, which again help Paul on his journeys. It aids the spread of the gospel. And the Romans bring relative peace and stability to the region. So even though there were a lot of evil things going on in the Roman Empire, Roman citizens had rights. And that fact spared Paul's life more than a few times. So you can see how God paved the way for the gospel to spread. So I just want to remind us that God is in control. Okay, he knows the bigger picture even when we don't. But getting back to the story here in the book of Acts, in chapter 27, Paul is put on a ship bound for Rome. And this is a very dangerous time of year to be sailing. This is late fall at this point, and the Mediterranean Sea is very treacherous this time of year. So Paul advises that the ship not sail. He says we should stay put for the winter. But, of course, the Roman centurion with Paul, he doesn't listen to Paul. And why would he? Because Paul's just a a prisoner at this point to him. And so the captain and the owner of the ship, they say, sail away. And and there are probably financial concerns about waiting too long for, for setting sail. So they say, let's just go. And so a gentle south breeze comes up and and the crew has this false sense of confidence and they say, let's go. And they do. They set sail. But of course, a huge storm hits and the wind blows like crazy for 14 straight days. And the crew starts tossing things overboard. And Paul says, hey, maybe you should have listened to me in in the first place. But Paul also has a vision. An angel of God tells Paul that you must stand trial before Caesar and all the lives of the men sailing with you are are going to be spared. So Paul encourages the men on the ship. And, And of course, now they're willing to listen to him since he was right about not setting sail in the first place. And, and actually, they become so confident in what Paul says that they're willing to cut away the lifeboats on the ship. That takes a lot of faith, right? So now they trust Paul. They trust him when he says that God is going to protect us. Now, I do want to make another side point here. We like to say here at Bedford Alliance, if you're not dead, God's not done with you. If you're not dead, God's not done. God, in this situation, he still had more for Paul to do. So he protected him. He said, you must stand trial before Caesar. So nothing was going to stop Paul from getting to Caesar. So the point I want to make is that we can rest in God's sovereignty. God is not going to waste a soul that has surrendered to him. And you're not going to go before your appointed time. So we can find rest in that. We can trust him in all situations. So God spares the lives of Paul and the crew, but they are shipwrecked. Understand that God's protection doesn't mean that we're not going to have trials or hard times. Ask Paul about that. He had plenty of trials in his life. So they are are shipwrecked. The ship runs aground on on a sandbar. And 
again, I know I have a lot of side points today, but another side point here, notice the detail in these passages, how they, they ran aground on a sandbar and all of these little details. Why is that important? Well, understand this could only be given by an eyewitness. And if we look in Acts chapter 27, you see references to we. For example, when we had sailed across the open sea. So what does that mean? It means Luke, the author of Acts, is with Paul. He's with them as this is happening. He's an eyewitness of these events, and he's providing an orderly, detailed account, just like he said he would. So I just want to emphasize that these are real historical events that are being recorded and documented by an eyewitness. So again, getting back to the story, the ship runs aground on this, this sandbar and Paul and the crew either swim to shore or they use pieces of the ship to float into shore. They're clinging on to, to floating pieces in the water and they make it to shore and everyone makes it. But now they're on an island, the island of Malta. And notice that Paul, even in the midst of this crazy trial, these crazy circumstances, he's still healing and ministering to people. And he actually heals the man's father on the island of Malta. And then finally, after three months, after the weather improves and winter is over, they're able to set sail again. But think about the fact that they're on this island for three months. I think sometimes we can gloss over those details and, and we miss how much time can sometimes span just from, from one verse to the next. Three months on this island. Think about all of the uncertainty going through Paul's mind at this point. He knows that he's eventually going to make it to Rome. He's eventually going to stand before Caesar, but he doesn't know when. He doesn't know how long he's going to be on this island. He doesn't know what other trials he's going to face along the way. So just think about all the uncertainty that he's going through at this point. So again, after three months, winter's over, conditions for, for travel are safer, and they eventually finally make it to Rome. And there in Rome, Paul is under sort of a house arrest. And the book of Acts ends by saying for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and he welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And by the way, this is likely when Paul writes what we know as the prison epistles or the prison letters. So this would include Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. But then at this point, the book of Acts, it just ends. It seems to end almost abruptly. Now, part of the reason for that is that Luke, the author of Acts, could be making the point that the story is incomplete in a sense. Because remember, Acts records the gospel starting in Jerusalem and moving outward in obedience to Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations. But that story is still continuing today. It's not finished yet. We are still taking the gospel to all the people groups of the world. So that could be part of the reason why it ends abruptly. Luke is saying the story is not finished. But I think it's also important to realize that the book likely ends there because Luke wrote Acts while Paul was still in prison. That's the most likely explanation. And that would date the book of Acts to around 62 AD. Now that's important because we know Luke, the gospel of Luke, was written before Acts, which would date Luke to either the early 60s or even the 50s AD. Now, I think that's important because sometimes people try to claim that the Gospels were written long after the fact, decades and decades after the fact, but that's, that's not true. They were written well within the lifespan of eyewitnesses. 
So this was not a legend that developed over time. What we know as the gospel today has been taught from the very beginning. This was not something that was fabricated over time. So just wanted to mention that. Now, a couple of final thoughts here as we wrap up the book of Acts. I want to reiterate something that has been a common theme throughout this book. And that's the fact that God's kingdom cannot be stopped. His gospel cannot be chained. We saw throughout the book of Acts that the kingdom spreads and flourishes in spite of persecution and violence and murders and imprisonments and mobs and riots and hurricanes and and shipwrecks. And on top of that, we need to realize that the kingdom doesn't grow merely in spite of suffering. It's actually fulfilled through suffering. Oftentimes, the best way for us to demonstrate a suffering Savior to the world is through suffering. So don't listen to anyone who tells you that the Christian life is all sunshine and rainbows. Okay, I hate to tell you, but it's not. The Christian life is difficult. If anyone ever tells you that, tell them to go read the book of Acts and see all the trials that just Paul alone had to go through, let alone all the other apostles and disciples. The Christian life is hard, but it's more than worth it in the end. Jesus is worth it. I also want to reiterate God's sovereignty throughout the book of Acts. There's nothing that surprises God, right? God wasn't surprised when Paul was shipwrecked or when he was arrested. And he sovereignly protected Paul until his calling was complete. And and you know what? Paul eventually was killed for his faith, but do you think he has any regrets now? No. So I want to encourage you. Don't live in fear. God is in control. He won't let you go before your appointed time. If you're not dead, he's not done. He's not done with you. He has a purpose for you. So let's live for that purpose. Let's stop living in fear and let's start living for the kingdom of God. Let's live with the same focus and intensity that Paul had. And may we live to declare Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance for his glory.